Several months ago, I, I mentioned that we had a couple new initiatives that we were going to be engaging in at Maricopa Springs. One of those was to take out an advertisement at the movie theater, which we've done. I don't know, maybe you've seen it. I've had a couple of my coworkers at Chase tell me that they have seen it. Um, so far, nobody showed up, though, to church as a result of those advertisements. So uh, pray for that. Um, you know, the goal was to help our community understand that our church meets here. Uh, you know, if there are people who are hungry to know Jesus or who are at a, a spot in their life where they're desperate for some hope, we were hoping that maybe they would see that advertisement and show up here. Um, and that's a short-term goal of ours to just kind of help us reach this critical mass um, that, that I think our, our church needs to, to kind of continue our forward trajectory. Um, that's the short-term goal. The long-term goal was um, to launch some new discipleship groups. We've done that. And those are plug-in, forward, full steam. Um, I'm super, super excited about that. You know, my, my heart is truly for discipleship. And I believe that God is going to uh, do an incredible work in our church as we unpack this discipleship curriculum together. If you're sitting here and you're like, I didn't even know about that. Uh, we are going to have an opportunity for you to be a part of a group like that. Um, it's not going to be for several months, but it will come again after we do our next membership class, probably sometime in the fall. But I, I really, the reason I bring this up is because I want you to know that the vision of our church is progressing, and we need you to help us pray for these things that we have going on around Maricopa Springs. So please be a part of that in addition to just a, attending on a Sunday morning. We need you to uh, be on your knees in prayer and supplication before God for what it is that he's doing here at Maricopa Springs. Um, next Sunday, we're going to be continuing our series on practical Christianity. We're going to be looking at forgiveness. And we are also going to be taking communion together. Uh, so if you have not had a chance to do communion with us in a while, I um, really want to encourage you to be a part of that service. I think it'll be good for your soul. All right, let me pray, and then let's jump into uh, the message. God, we thank you so much for an opportunity to come and to worship you. We're, we're, we're just grateful that we have this time to be in community together, praising your name, uh, being reminded of who you are as our God, as our Savior, and uh, joining together in solidarity with other people who believe in the truth of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would touch our hearts with that message this morning, that you would change us, God, that as we spend time with you, we would be different people as a result of that. Um, I pray that you'd give me your words this morning and that you'd enlighten our hearts through your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I want to start this morning with a, a story that I'd like to share with you guys. I heard it a long time ago. Maybe you've heard it before. Um, but I think it's kind of a wonderful introduc introduction to our topic of Jesus the God-Man. That's, that's the title of my series this morning. If you didn't grab sermon notes and you would like to pick one of those up, you can do that. Don't, don't hesitate. Get up out of your chair and grab one. That'll help you kind of follow along. Um, but Jesus the God-Man, I, I, I think I'm going to get a little bit theological here this morning. I hope I'll get a little bit theological. Um, next week as, as we talk about uh, forgiveness, it'll be a little less theological, although still doctrinally sound. Um, but uh, this is a, a story that I think helps us understand this idea of Jesus being the God-man, okay? And the author of this story is unknown, but it goes like this, and I'm going to kind of just read it to you guys. There once was a man who didn't believe in God, and he didn't hesitate to let others know about how he felt about religion and religious holidays like Christmas. His wife did believe and raised their children to have faith in God and Jesus. And one snowy Christmas Eve, his wife was taking their children to a Christmas Eve service in the farm community in which they lived, and she asked her husband to come along. And he refused as usual. 
saying, the Christmas story is nonsense. Uh, he, he exclaimed, why would God lower himself to come to earth as a man? That's ridiculous. She and the children went, and he stayed home. And that night the wind began to blow, and the snow turned into a blizzard. And as the man looked out the window, all he could see was a blinding snowstorm. And he sat down before the fireplace to relax, when suddenly there was a loud thump, and something had hit the window. And then a second thump. And he looked out, but he couldn't see more than a few feet because of the blinding snow. And when the storm let up a little, he ventured out to see what could have been beating on his window, only to find that in the field near the house was a flock of wild geese. And apparently they were flying south when they got caught in the blizzard, and they couldn't go on. They were lost, and they were stranded on his farm without food or shelter. And flapping their wings, they aimlessly flew around in the field in low circles, and some had apparently flown into his window. And the man felt concerned for the geese, and he wanted to help them. And the barn, he realized, would be a great place for them to stay. It was warm, and it was safe. And they would be saved if they spent their night in there, out of the storm. So he opened the barn doors wide, and then he watched and waited, hoping that the geese would notice the barn and enter. But the geese just fluttered around aimlessly and didn't seem to notice the barn or realize what it could mean for them. And the man tried to get their attention, but that just seemed to scare them, and they moved further away. He went into the house and brought out some bread. He broke it up. He made a breadcrumb trail leading them into the barn, but they still didn't catch on. Now he was getting frustrated. He got behind them, and he tried to shoo them in toward the barn, but they only became frightened and scattered in every direction except for the barn. Nothing he could do would get them to go into the barn where they would be safe. Why don't they follow me, he puzzled. Can't they see this is the only place where they can survive? And he thought for a moment and realized that they just wouldn't follow a human. If only I were a goose, and then I could save them, he said out loud. And suddenly, he had an idea. He went into the barn, got one of his own geese, and carried it in his arms as he circled around behind the flock of wild geese. And when he released his goose, it flew through the flock and straight into the safety of the barn. One by one, the other geese followed it to safety. He stood silently for a moment as the words he had spoken a few minutes earlier replayed in his mind. If only I were a goose, and then I could save them. Then he thought about what he had said to his wife, and suddenly it all made sense. This is what God had done. We were like these geese, blind, lost, perishing. And God had his son become like us so he could show us the way and save us. That was the meaning of Christmas, he realized. As the winds and blinding snow died down, his soul became quiet, and suddenly he understood what Christmas was all about, why Christ had come. And years of doubt and disbelief vanished like the passing storm. He fell to his knees in the snow and prayed his first real prayer. Thank you, Lord, for coming in human form to get me out of this world and to lead me to a better one. Lead me to the safety of your Father's arms, was his prayer. Now, it's a Christmas story, but I think it's very applicable as we talk about Jesus being the God-man. And, and the truth is, Jesus said that he was God. He claimed the reason that he came to earth was to reveal God the Father to humanity. John 14, 9, and I think I put this on your notes, says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. See, uh, the problem with God revealing himself to humans in any other way 
is that we're incapable of fully understanding him. Okay? Our puny, finite minds would simply overload if we tried. It'd be like trying to run some sophisticated computer program of today on like the first computers from the early 80s. You know what I'm saying? Just not going to happen. Uh, and I think a perfect example of us trying to, to comprehend these kinds of impossibly comprehensible things, Frederick Nietzsche. Maybe you've heard of his philosophy. Maybe you say Nietzsche. Okay? He thought that he could wrap the world in his small little philosophy, which if you've ever read any of his writings, it's honestly brilliant stuff. His mind was far more sophisticated than my own. But he thought he could wrap the world in this small little philosophy of his, which is why he spent the final 11 years of his life in an asylum for the mentally insane. It led him to, be, to craziness, trying to comprehend the things of God. God is incomprehensible. And our attempts to know him would be like a goose trying to know the things of humanity, to know the things of being human. Um, as if I could invite a goose into my house, sort of like a foreign exchange student, and expect that that goose, as a result of living with me and my family, would be able to learn how to read and write, or know the anxiety of being a human, or the joy of being a human, right? A goose cannot comprehend man things. Similarly, our attempts to comprehend God, we cannot comprehend God things. Despite all of our efforts, it's just not going to happen. But fortunately for us, we're not stuck there. We worship a brilliant God who understands the issue of humanity understanding Godness. Okay, because God, in his overwhelming desire to be with humans, to be present with us, to lavish us with his love, his affection, he figured out a way to overcome this problem of our inability to comprehend him. And I believe it's a way that's both profoundly simple and paradoxically complex. Let me unpack that a little bit. Okay? God became a man. That's the, the profoundly simple part. God became a man. And he did it in order to reveal God to the world in a way that humanity could actually understand. God being a human being. And, and Christianity, I believe, is practical because Jesus wore the very same flesh that we wear. Christianity is not a religion that deals only with the ethereal, the spiritual, the otherworldly. Jesus understood what it meant to be human because he chose to enter into our world to walk our soil and use our language and engage in relationships like we engage in relationships. He brought the wisdom of God to the human experience in a way that could only happen through something as simple as God taking on flesh. God became the God-man in the person of Jesus Christ. But then let's not forget the paradoxically complex part of this reality. A paradox is something that cannot be the same. It, it, it cannot happen in unity, okay? A paradox is something that is inexplicable and should not be that way. And so here's the paradoxically complex part of this reality. That some cults of Christianity that are heresies reject. Okay, here's the idea. In becoming a man, God was no less God. That's what we have to understand. Although Jesus wore flesh like you and I do, he was still fully God. 
He laid aside some of his divine attributes to, to subject himself to the confinements of human mortality. But in so doing, he never stopped being God. Uh, it's a paradox, a situation that's, like I've said, completely inexplicable. That Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. Okay, All the math geniuses out there, or even those of you who've had only a slight exposure to math, uh, you know, you'll, you'll be tempted to remind me that you can't have two 100%s that make a whole. right? It doesn't work like that. 50 and 50 makes 100%. But in the person of Jesus Christ, God was both fully man and fully God. And he's not subject to the same rules of nature that we're subject to. Somehow for him that is completely possible, even though for our minds it is incomprehensible. And so in his miraculous power, Jesus experienced all that it meant to be a human while also maintaining perfect divinity as God. A beautiful, beautiful point of Christianity. Let's look at what the Bible has to say about it. Hebrews 1. I'm going to put it up on the side screens too if you didn't grab the notes. But if you did, uh, they're in front of you. Or if you want to look at your own Bible, if you prefer your translation, you can follow along there. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Let's pause here for a second. I want to go through this in a sort of expositorial form and highlight a couple things here for us, okay? Um, This is like the story that kind of starts out. Once upon a time, and he goes on to say, God spoke to us through men. He gave these men divine words that they communicated to us humans in human terms, okay? And these were the prophets. If you've read any of the Old Testament, these were the prophets, who came and uh, we find their writings in Isaiah, Ezekiel, uh, Malachi, all of those types of books in the Old Testament. God had a word for his people, and he spoke it through the prophets. Okay, That's how it used to be, is what the author of Hebrews says. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Look at verse 2 with me. He goes on to say, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Okay, stop again. Lest we get confused about the godness of Jesus, I don't think that's actually a word, but I made it up and it's going to work today. So lest we get confused about his godness, his divinity, or be tempted to just call him an exceptional man, the author gives us two reminders here in this verse That though Jesus was a man, he was fully God. Let me highlight him for you. Number one, Jesus is the heir of all things. You cannot inherit all of what God owns unless you yourself are God. Okay, Unless Jesus was all-powerful God, for him to be the beneficiary of God's kingdom would simply be too much. It would be overwhelming. Only God can be Lord and master of all. So only God can inherit the fullness of God. Sounds confusing? Let me put it in simple terms, okay? Let's say I had a 50-gallon drum of water, and I decided I wanted to pass that 50 gallons of water into another receptacle, another type of container. And I got out a 12-ounce bottle of water and dumped that thing into the bottle of water. 
that bottle of water is going to be gone, just annihilated, washed down the street. It cannot hold the contents of the 50-gallon drum of water. It's not going to happen. So all of that to say, in order for Jesus to inherit everything that God had, he had to be capable of containing it all himself, capable of inheriting and having power over God's dominion. Okay, number two. Through Jesus, the writer says, God created the world. As humans, we have creative talent and ability, but we can't speak galaxies into existence. Okay? My son Aiden draws the most beautiful pictures. Okay? Sometimes he even manages to stay inside the lines. He's very creative in the colors that he, he colors the dinosaurs at home. Okay? But he will never speak galaxies into existence. Only God can do that. And we see that although Jesus was a man, Hebrews tells us that he was a part of the process of creating the world. Go on, verse 3. It says, He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. It doesn't get more straightforward than that, okay? Jesus is the exact imprint of God. And uh, again, to use Aiden as an illustration, I can't even tell you how many times people say, wow, he looks exactly like you. And if you've seen my son Aiden, he literally does look exactly like me. He's like a mini Grady. Blonde hair, blue eyes, similar features, the same lack of attention, okay? And if you look at our pictures at his age, we look identical. I mean, we look the, the, the same. If it wasn't for the fadedness of the pictures from the early 80s, you would never know that you were looking at me and not Aiden. And similarly, Jesus is the exact representation of God. And you can't be only a man and be the exact imprint of God. Okay? This is, again, something that only God can be. We, as humans, can resemble God. We can imitate God. We can be made in his image. We can reflect him. But try as hard as we might, we will never be the exact representation of God. Okay? So what Hebrews is saying is Jesus was God. All of the morality of Jesus, all of his perfection, all of his power that gave him the ability to heal people, teach with authority, and raise people from the dead, all of that is found in Christ because Jesus was, in fact, God. Okay? Not merely a man who had godlike qualities, like some sects of Christianity claim. He was God in the flesh, walking among us and simultaneously upholding the universe by the will of his power. I don't know how he did that because I can hardly engage in one conversation in front of me right? Jesus was doing that and maintaining everything that we know in creation. Continue with me in verse 3. The author writes, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The only person who could sit down at the right hand of a king would be the prince who holds all the power and the authority of the king himself. That seat could be held by nobody else. 
And the reference to angels here might seem a little confusing, but it's really pretty simple. Here, here's the point. Uh, again, the author of Hebrews wants us to understand and to be sure that we don't get confused and see Jesus as just a spiritual being. Okay? Jesus is not like an angel. He's not just a spiritual being. He was superior to man, but he was also superior to angels. Okay? Paul, the author of Colossians, he puts it this way. I think I put this in your notes as well. Chapter 1 of Colossians, verses 15 through 20. It says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Read that five or six times at home this week. I don't have time to do it this morning. But we're at the point here where we're beating a dead horse, if you've heard that phrase before. Okay, we're, we're, we're reiterating and reiterating the same idea again and again. The writer of Hebrews and Paul, the author of Colossians, they want this idea to be perfectly clear for us. Let's not have any misunderstanding here. Although Jesus was a man, he was God. He wasn't a man who had God-like qualities. He wasn't a man who was a God. Jesus was both fully man and fully God. The exact imprint of God the Father. Jesus was the God-man. Okay. Now, he did all of this so that our faith in him could be practical. Okay, maybe you've been sitting here and you're like, okay, how is this practical Christianity? Okay, but he did it so that this could all have meaning for our lives today, here and now. Before I get into that, will somebody prop one of the doors open? Thanks, Ron. It gets crazy hot in here. Okay. So what this means is that this reality in Jesus spills from this life over into eternity, yes. It has eternal implications, but not just meaning for eternity like some Christians are tempted to believe. Okay? It has practical wisdom and relevance for our present circumstances in this life. So here's where this gets practical and intersects with us. Okay? We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 2 for this insight, if you'll turn with me there. Or pull up your notes, your handout. Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 18. The author writes, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. This is our goose story here. Okay? Jesus partook of the same flesh and blood that we are made of. He became a goose like us so that we could understand. He put on our humanity so that through his power as God and his experience as a man, he could destroy Satan and evil and death and give us victory over those things. So he could deliver us from the bondage of slavery that we live in 
because we brought sin into the world. Skip verse 17 talks about angels again, but he goes on to say, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And that's the beautiful piece of truth worth more than a thousand tons of gold that I want you guys to understand here this morning. If there's one idea, it's that last sentence. For because Jesus himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Because Jesus is God who lived the life of a human, he knows the intricacies of our life. He knows the joys. He knows the sorrows. He knows the temptations, the brokenness, the difficulty. He's intimately aware of all of that throughout our lives because he experienced it himself. So through his life, his death, Jesus did so much more than just save us from our sins. And, and I believe with all of my heart that Christians and people outside of the church need to understand this point. We need to know that Jesus didn't... Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. We, we need to know that we don't just need to be saved... We need to know Jesus, okay? I think we've sort of lost this idea sometimes. It's not enough to just trust Jesus for salvation. We need to trust him with our lives, every intricacy of it, because he was God who saved us from our sins and a man who experienced our trials. They go hand in hand eternal salvation, and a changed life. And there's nothing in our lives that he cannot overcome. But we have to know him as the God-man. We have to hear his voice in our lives, calling us to the safety of his presence, and we have to follow. In short, we have to know him, not as a passing idea, but like I talked about last week, as our master in everything. It looks like this in in practical areas, okay? Honestly, do you want your career to be more satisfying? Then know Jesus, and he'll reveal his purpose for giving you the career that you have. It's not just to pay your bills. He's got something more in store for you there. Do you want to make sense of the grief you feel at the death of somebody that you love? Then know Jesus And he's going to prove to you his power over sorrow and his promise of new life. Do you want to have a healthy marriage that contributes to joy in your life? Then know Jesus and be inspired by his servant leadership to lay down your life for your spouse. You want to know peace in the midst of fear of the future or the overwhelming presence of the unknown in what might be coming down the pike for you in your life? Then know Jesus who spoke the universe into existence and lived his life each day in faith that his heavenly father would deal with the worries of tomorrow. You want to know what's missing from your life to make it more than just the routine of work and sleep and more work? Then you have to know Jesus who promises to give us life and reminds us that this life is just the hallway to eternity in his kingdom. 
And I could go on and on and on. I mean, I could bring up every scenario that humans have ever experienced. Whatever the question or the desire or the longing or the pain that you have, it's always going to come back to Jesus as the answer, the solution, the foundation. And the practical reality that in him is everything, everything, that as both God and man, he's capable and able to change us if we only just know him. It's not complicated. We just stop pursuing worthless things and we pursue Jesus, who is worthy. And we watch in astonishment as he changes our hearts and changes our lives and changes our desires and our motivations and our habits. We stop trying to do that on our own and we just know Jesus. And I promise you, he changes lives. If I could only have one simple phrase on my tombstone, it would be this. He knew Jesus. And I think my whole sarcophagus would be one big exclamation point to that phrase. He knew Jesus. That would be it. Because here's, here's what happens when you know Jesus. Knowing Jesus makes my death irrelevant because I will live again and my life significant because I have an eternal purpose. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you that you came as Jesus, that you put on frail humanity to overcome our inability to comprehend your ways. And Lord, I pray that we would be a church filled with people who know you, that we wouldn't just be saved as important and significant as that is, but that we would know you in our lives. And God, I pray that you would prove your faithfulness to us, that the more we know you, we would truly be changed. Our lives would be different because of your presence daily with us. I pray that we would understand the practical application and implication of the fact that God came as a man and lived among us. We give you praise now for your glory in accomplishing that. Amen. Amen.